Welcome to KX Emerging Research. We're focusing on research that's happening right now. It's science so fresh, you haven't even heard about it yet. I'm Stacey Cochran. And I'm Kim Winslow from the Knowledge Exchange. Today, we're talking with agricultural communicator, Dr. Kara Lawson. Kara wants to understand the best way to communicate risk to the public. She joins us from the Department of Agricultural Communication, Education, and Leadership in the College of Food, Agricultural, and Environmental Sciences. Welcome, Kara. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you today. We're happy you're here, too. Kara, you recently joined us from Oregon State University, and it sounds like you had an experience there that was the basis for your current project that was recently funded by the AgTech Innovation Hub, a new partnership with CFAS and Nationwide. And so if you could touch briefly on how the inspiration for this work came to be, meaning I think it's wildfires. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Wildfires. I experienced them in a very historic way. I was told that wildfires like that had never really happened in Oregon, kind of starting from the top. I moved to Oregon in the fall of 2020, shortly after I finished my PhD at Texas Tech. I was so excited to have my first faculty job and move to the West Coast, meet new people, meet new students, work in a new program. And only a couple of weeks after I moved and had barely unpacked, a historic wildfire started to sweep the state. And not only Oregon, it affected California and Washington too, but it was just so strange Um, because one morning I woke up and it was probably seven in the morning. The sun should be shining by then. (laughs) And it was completely dark, um, black and like this hazy orange. It was really, really weird. Creepy. It was really creepy. It felt very spooky and apocalyptic and I had never seen anything like it. So I was really worried. I was afraid. I didn't really know what to do. I was kind of just frozen in terms of what steps I needed to take to survive this. Um, You know, I didn't know where to look for information my friends who were there, the the just the couple of them hadn't really experienced anything like this either because oh they goodness. weren't from Oregon. Um, but I, I just didn't know where to look for information. And, you know, I, I can Google things like right. anyone, but I wasn't sure whose suggestions I should take and, and yeah, what sure. exactly I should do. So it was just a complicated and scary time. Um, coupled with no previous experience on how to navigate. Yikes. Absolutely. So I can see that being an inspiration for your research. Tell me how you got the idea then for this climate perception piece. Yeah, well, it, it is directly tied to that experience, Kim. And it just came from that place of being completely lost and being under the pressures of time, um, with threats that I didn't even really understand or know. And I didn't know really anything on navigating it. I didn't know if I should, you know, pack up my most precious belongings and drive to the coast. I didn't know if I should just kind of write it out or if I should be wearing a mask or, I I mean, I really didn't know anything. Just Um, lost. Yeah. Yeah, totally. You know, coming from the Midwest, 
I get, you know, snowstorms and, and some of those kinds of things. And in Texas, like some of the interesting weather they have there. But this was just so different. And while a lot of extreme weather kind of has similar characteristics in terms of the feelings that are evoked and the experiences that you need to navigate, it's all different. And I certainly learned that in Oregon when I tried to navigate this really extreme weather event. So that was kind of the um, driving force in this line of inquiry was just experiencing these kinds of things that maybe you haven't experienced before, maybe you have some experience, but like I said, it always shows up a little bit differently. And when, you know, such effects are unfolding and such events are unfolding, it's a lot of pressure to get it right. And if you don't know how to find the information you need and you don't know where to look, it makes it even that much more stressful. Sure. 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 Well, and I just love how this experience got you thinking about how people navigate risk, Mm -hmm. especially given the fact that these extreme weather events, these unprecedented heat waves, et cetera, Mm -hmm. are just building. And so more people across the U.S. experience it. And it'll be important to communicate this information in a way that they'll understand and accept. And, and honestly, how people perceive that risk can really depend on their location and, and even their political affiliation. So, um, so can you tell us a little bit then about your National Climate Perception Survey? Yes, I would love to talk about my survey. Climate risk affects regions of the United States in different ways, but everyone needs information on how to navigate that risk. So in this study, my team and I really want to find out how people in different regions and states perceive and experience climate risk. Um, In the past, we found things like extreme weather experience, um, Stacey, like you said, political affiliation, personal values, and even more factors play in a role that people play a role in the way people interpret this risk. Sure. But those studies have been pretty small in scale. Um, I focused on a population in Oregon, and my colleague at Texas Tech looked at a population and a sample in Texas, um, looking at the effect, looking at their perceptions after the ice storm, winter storm, oh, Uri. Yeah. Sure. Um, Yeah. So to move this line of inquiry along, this is really the next logical step for our team. And we're really curious to see if there are any similarities or differences in how people perceive this climate risk across the country. Because like I said, extreme weather events, climate risk has some similar qualities, but it shows up differently depending where you live. And we're hoping the data that we collect will allow us to segment audiences based on the similarities, um, like their location, their beliefs, attitudes, values, and and even more than that. We hope we can get really specific in, you know, describing these groups of people and their climate perceptions. And knowing more specifically how people view this issue will help us create future messages and get the information out that I hope ultimately will save lives safe property. Um, that's really the goal for us to help get people the information they need. So when they're, so they're not completely lost in a climate disaster, like I was, um, <laughs> yeah. and knowing where they stand on the issue is just key to creating that effective message. Sure. I love that. Yeah. yeah. And when you think about 
states anyway and how different people are in all the states you know we always have those fun memes that say oh ohio acts this way new york acts that way california (laughs) acts this way so i know that there are characteristics of people that are are set right i'm female whatever my political affiliation is um there's my age you know there's that demographic information but how do you measure my perception Measuring perception is really challenging, Stacy. Social science research in itself is challenging because we lack the controlled environments that a lot of other sciences have that control over. And there are so many things that can influence what individuals report and what they tell you. Um, they may be wanting to give an answer that they think is more socially acceptable. Um, they may not really have an opinion on certain things. So there's a lot of background noise in collecting this kind of data, but we can measure it through validated and reliable surveys. And, and that's the best that we can do. So we test our measures just like any other science and make sure that they are reliable and valuable so that we get good data. But it is, it is difficult, but it's measured largely through a number of scales. Okay. So a scale meaning someone will rate an item on a scale of like one to five, for example. So they might say climate change highly affects the area I live. And they can pick anywhere from strongly disagree to strongly agree. So it's okay. through a measure of items like that and multiple items like that. Um, it's not just one question. We ask several questions to capture that perception. Right. And we hope we do. And we think we do based on the statistics. Um, but it's a fun challenge. I'm sure. Yeah. So you get that nuance, right? Where you're like, I right. strongly agree. I strongly disagree or somewhere in the middle based on the question. Yes. Nice. yes. So how do you survey a national audience? Yeah, it's it's an interesting task at hand, Stacey. So we are working with a company to help us source participants. Essentially, my team and I put together a description of the population that we want to know about, and that is United States United States residents 18 and older. And we use the census data to come up with what are called quotas or basically Um, groups of people that represent a certain area. So we set our population numbers for our sample based on how large the state was in terms of population um, and how big the region was too, because it's important that we have every state represented in this study um, because it's important to be able to generalize in that way. And certainly I wish that we could have the opportunity to several to survey every citizen in the United right. States about this. Um, that's just not realistic though. So we think this is the next best thing. Sure. It's a that's sample. So cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you try to get someone from every age group then, or is it really just 18 and older? Yeah, that's a great question. So that is often a variable of exploration, but in this study age wasn't as important to us, largely because we're seeking a large sample. Um, we'll be collecting data from 2000 people So I hope that the age will vary um, pretty greatly in there. And the company that's helping us collect this data does a pretty good job 
of having um, access to people who are closely related to census data. So they match up pretty well. Um, Some of the things that we are looking at is uh, gender, though, and we're also looking at community type. So we're curious to see how people who live in urban areas view these issues compared to those who live in rural and suburb and in between. So those are some of the specific kind of demographics we're looking at. And that's just going to be another piece that will help us build out those audience segments. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, that's very cool. And I guess one of the questions that that brings up for me then is from this survey, what are you hoping some of the uses may be from what you see come back? Yeah, so I'm really excited to create two main projects from this survey. The first, like I kind of mentioned, is the audience segmentation report, which is going to be so fascinating because I really don't know how many segments will emerge. We're looking at four regions, but I would not be surprised to see some overlap between certain states, maybe, that might be in different regions. And when it comes to more psycho, like psychological factors like personal values and you know things that are really important to people from that really personal standpoint and perspective, we may see some overlap um, outside of region as well. So I'm really excited just to describe these audiences um, based upon their beliefs and attitudes. And since location is such a key part of climate risk, um, I'm also going to be creating an interactive map where people can click each state to see specifically how individuals in that state might view climate risk and what their experience looks like. Oh, neat. That'll be helpful. I heard you use the word values multiple times, which seems mm-hmm. a little bit more like anchoring those perceptions and yes. really understanding those audience segments. Is there mm-hmm. like a list of values? How do you end up helping people along that? Yeah, so people act and behave in ways that are consistent or aligned with the personal values that they hold close to their, um, I, I think just like close to their heart. So I use a scale of values developed by a researcher named Schwartz, and he developed 10 personal values ranging from tradition, um, like I am for respect and authority and, you know, following the law and all of those things, um, to values that really deal with like protecting nature and protecting the environment. So participants rate these just like they rate some of the other items. And it's been really fascinating to see how these values show up in specific research contexts. And for example, in the study I did with Oregon residents, we found that um, like protecting nature was really an important value within that sample, which kind of made sense given the context that it was literally burning down around them. Um, So I don't think that people's personal values change, but I do think depending on the values that you have, you kind of interpret and navigate the issues a little bit differently. They, They hit a little bit different depending on these values. And as a communications um, researcher and teacher, we all can interpret these values a little bit differently. But at the end of the day, we can also really connect on them. So from a standpoint of putting a message together and having a conversation, 
it you'll go a lot farther if you can connect on a value first. If you find sure. something you can yeah. agree on, then have the tough conversation. So that's yeah, why that's um, values have been a big part of my research. Um because they've just shown up as significant in just about every study that I've done. Sure. Yeah. People care about their families. They care about their yes. children. Yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of things we can connect on. Exactly. Especially given, uh, Stacy, you mentioned it earlier, Carrie, you mentioned it again, the political environment is one that's mm-hmm. really touchy, especially with this topic. So mm-hmm. understanding, you know, people's hearts is so, you know, not to get too touchy feely about it, but really understand what uh, moves them. Yeah. What makes them tick? Like what, what, why do they feel the way they do? It's because they're trying to live an aligned life to uphold those values. Sure. Sure. Yep. And then this is just a technical question. How are people taking this survey? Yeah, it's an online survey and they can take it at the computer or device of their choice. So that's one of the great things about the company that's helping us as well is that we can get access to this national um, sample really quickly and it's easy for them to do um, at home or wherever they are on their cell phone or tablet. Um, It's, it's ready for them. That's That's so cool. And you know what, Kara, my last question for you, because I learned this in talking with you about the ag tech innovation hub work, um, is you have a step before the survey actually goes out to the whole audience. Can you talk about that a little bit? I'd be happy to talk about that, Kim. So that kind of goes back to Stacey's question about how we measure perceptions and what we're doing before we launch this survey to the national sample is to do a smaller sample. Um, It's also a national sample, but it will be of about 75 people compared to 2000 to make sure that the questions are worded correctly, that participants understand them, um, that the scales are all reliable. you know, I, I, I like to use this kind of analogy, like if you hop on a scale and it gives you a reading of like 100 pounds the first time, and then you hop on again, and it's 200 pounds, that's not a great scale. And so <laughs> our scales work the same way. We want a reliable result. Um, so this just kind of gives us the opportunity to test run to make sure that, again, that our data are valid, reliable, um, something that we can draw some conclusions from. That's cool. That's so cool. Great. So um, I mentioned earlier in the podcast that this was uh, funded by the AgTech Innovation Hub. Um, what about that funding is making this project possible? I'm so grateful to Nationwide and Farm Bureau and our partners for sponsoring these projects. This is a huge study. And in my field, we don't often see studies of this scale. Um, I mentioned some of the state level studies before, and those are really common because the samples are a little bit smaller. Um, But this opportunity has is going to give us the opportunity really just to zoom in and out on this issue. We don't have to just generalize to a certain state. We can really get a pretty good picture of what's going on from a national perspective. And because we are doing a sample that's representative of the U.S. population by state, we can also zoom in on specific states where we see a point of data that kind of stands out and try to figure out what's going on there. So I don't think a study of this scale would be possible without support from our partners for the Ag Tech Innovation Hub. It's so cool. Um, I'm so grateful to be part of it. That's so cool, Kara. Yeah, and I honestly love talking about social science research in particular 
because I feel like, you know, Stacey, you and I don't get the opportunity to talk about no. that as much. No. And so, Kara, thank you so much for breaking down what a survey takes, the science behind it, and the different steps that you're looking forward to with this particular project. Yes, thank you so much. It's been so fun. Um, I'm really excited about this project and always happy to talk social science. Great. Thank you so much, Kara. And join us for the next episode in our series with Dr. Kara Lawson, where we'll talk about an exciting new measurement Kara has developed for the survey to assess people's perception of farmers' contributions to climate change. And thanks for joining us for the KX Emerging Research Podcast. For more fresh science, visit kx.osu.edu.